Chinakwea, no my, hi my. Welcome to Animal Matters, Safe's fortnightly podcast. Courtney, it's lovely to see you. Actually, it's been three weeks this time. We were a little bit naughty. We didn't have a podcast last week, but for good reason. Um, how are you, Courtney? I'm really good. We've got a bit of sun here in Wellington today, which is rare. Um, so I cannot complain. What about yourself? Is it one of those days where people on Twitter are saying you can't beat, a, can't beat Wellington on a good day? It, they will be, 100%. It's one of those days. But I haven't been on Twitter. I haven't even been outside, to be honest. I'm just looking out of the window. I can see a little sliver of blue sky. So to be fair, it could be absolutely horrific on the other side of my house. But from what I can see, there's a bit of blue sky and I'm happy with that. I'll take what I can get. It's been cold down here. Um, I mean, it's been a little bit cloudy today, but the last couple of days have been sunny. But it has been cold. We had snow on Monday in spring. I know. That was crap. I couldn't believe that. We had hail here and I thought that was bad enough. And then I went on social media and saw that everywhere was covered in snow in Canterbury. I mean, it was a pathetic excuse for snow, to be fair. (laughs) It was like rough and icy. You couldn't build a snowman, uh, let alone throw a snowball. But it was... was, Oh, what's the point of it then? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It It wasn't like the snow we had back in 2012 where like... The whole city ground to a halt in 2011. Have you been charting? Have you been charting the snowfall across the years? Yeah, it's, it sounds like it. Yeah, doesn't it? Well, I've been I've been expecting a good snowfall since then, but it's never happened. See, I remember when I was a kid, we lived in Dunedin, and we used to get such good snowfall. Like we would be able to toboggan down our hill. What's happened to that? Climate change? Probably. I mean, I guess in theory, climate change should mean that we're getting more severe winter events as well true um i guess it hasn't happened this year i don't think dunedin got snow this year are you thinking back to 2006 i'm thinking way back yeah 2006 i remember because i was living in timaru then and dunedin and timaru and most of the south like lower south island got heaps of snow like the whole like lower half of the South Island was just covered in snow. Do you know what, Will? I don't want to date myself too much, but I think I'm thinking back to the 90s. Oh, wow. Okay, your memory is better than mine. <laughs> I don't remember what year. Yeah, but I just remember being on a hill, listening in in the morning while we're eating our porridge and our like hot chocolates, and we'd listen into the radio and they would say the names of the schools that were cancelled for the day, and they would always say our schools, and we would just go, yes, and then we would get our rubbish bags, because we didn't have to we just took rubbish bags and just slid down the hill all day. Oh, snow days were the best days when you were a kid. The best days. Amazing. Free day off. Yes, please. Speaking of horrific weather events, which is it's sort of circulating. I think it was quite a big story last week. It got a bit of press in that Federated Farmers, Dairy NZ and Beef and Lamb NZ have requested again that intensive winter grazing regulations be delayed. So these regulations were meant to come into effect all the way back in May of last year, but they were delayed until May of this year and then they were delayed again until November. Not everyone may be aware of what intensive winter grazing is it's um, a farming practice where large numbers of stock are confined over winter to quite small feeding areas and those areas are planted with annual forage crops and the regulations that are in question are to better control the effects of this winter grazing and they were introduced back in 2020 in the national environmental standards for fresh water and that was as part of the essential sort of fresh water reforms so essentially what's being said is if farmers can't meet the default conditions that are set out by those standards they need to either obtain a certified 
freshwater farm plan or they need to apply for a resource consent. But the industry groups that we're talking about, so that was again Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Dairy New Zealand and Federated Farmers, they've written to David Parker, who's the Environment Minister, asking to delay the rules again until November next year. And the reason that they want that is the government, they say, has failed to get the freshwater farm plans in place in time, which means that farmers would have to go down the, as they say, expensive consenting process. And so the CEO of Beef and Lamb New Zealand, whose name is Sam McIver, has said that regional councils have reported winter grazing practices have lifted significantly in recent years, which he says proves that farmers are committed to improving their winter grazing practices and that a delay in the implementation of the rules wouldn't come at the expense of the environment. The problem is, is that it's not just a matter of high level regulations and bureaucracy. And it's, to be honest, not just about the environment either. On the ground, while the debate is going on, animals are trudging through mud. They've got nowhere to escape the conditions, which I mean, we've already talked about in Christchurch. It snowed this week in spring and they're giving birth in freezing cold, muddy conditions. It's just totally unacceptable. I mean, the welfare issues alone are exorbitant. I mean, cows can go lame standing in mud and water for lengths of time. They don't have anywhere to properly rest and there's an increased risk of mastitis. And that is not even thinking about the calves. Their tiny little bodies, obviously, very vulnerable to, to suffering in these conditions. On the plus side, environmental campaigners aren't taking this lying down. So, Will, you know a little bit more about this. What's been going on? Yeah, so recently a group of environmental activists, they released new footage from this winter, uh, which shows cows and their newborn calves in terrible conditions, standing in wet mud and in the cold. Um, the footage was shot at various locations across the country, including Canterbury, Otago, Southland, Taranaki. Uh, it really goes to show that whilst the industry groups and the government are spinning a great line that farmers are making improvements, the reality on the ground is that it's still happening um, and it's still terrible. Um, this footage, it was gathered by Matt Kofi as well with the help of... Jeff Reed and other activists. Um, some of these people were part of um, the group that actually put this issue on the agenda first back in 2020 with the help of Angus Robson. They released footage back in 2020 that showed all of these same conditions that we're talking about. Um, cattle standing in wet, muddy conditions. And that's what actually prompted the government to form their winter grazing task force to come up with these new regulations. You mentioned that these industry groups, they want it delayed. This is the, this would be the third delay. It was supposed to, these new regulations, they were supposed to come into force in May 2021, but then they were delayed until May 2022, only to be further delayed again until November 2022. So anyway, Matt Kofi, Jeff Reed, and the group of activists that I've been working, working with, they released this new footage and they're actually targeting McDonald's with this footage. So they're pressuring McDonald's to stop supporting mud farming. Um, their reasoning being that uh, McDonald's, they get all of their cheese from Fonterra. Fonterra makes 
about three billion burgers worth of cheese every year. Three billion. Three billion burgers worth of cheese um, is is how much Fonterra creates every year for oh. McDonald's. And New Zealand exports sixty point seven million kilograms of beef to McDonald's markets. So. These guys, they organise protests all around the country and they've got two requests or two demands, I should say, for McDonald's. One is for McDonald's to issue a public position statement on mud farming um, or winter grazing, as we've been calling it, and how it relates to McDonald's sustainability and product quality values. They're also demanding that McDonald's contact their suppliers of meat and dairy products, requesting them to implement a supply chain management system, which would ensure that no animal products are raised by mud farming uh, and sold to McDonald's. So basically it's to take winter grazing out of McDonald's food supply chain. I mean, it makes total sense. If you think of it, like I had no idea that that volume of food was being produced. Three billion burgers worth of cheese. That's huge. I mean, so it makes total sense. I mean, McDonald's is arguably the biggest takeaway outlet in New Zealand, would we say? I mean, I actually don't know. It's I, I, I don't know either. You'd think so. They're, they're bloody everywhere. They are everywhere. And they're very noticeable. And sort of the thing that I've noticed with McDonald's is a lot of their marketing is about the quality of the beef, right? It's about the quality of the products that they use. That's what they rely on. It is sort of their bread and butter. And to, to target it like this is such a good tactic because – it makes total sense. Like you're you're seeing this mud farming happening on one side and then you're hearing all this rhetoric from McDonald's about the quality of their stock, I suppose, for want of a better word, on the other side and it just doesn't marry up. So it makes sense to tie those things together and actually make that connection known. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great corporate campaigning tactic um, because... I mean, the government are essentially kicking can, they're kicking the can down the road. They're saying that things are improving, but the, the the video evidence that has emerged of this winter is showing that that's not the case. And I think back to when Safe actually uh, campaigned with Countdown to pressure Countdown to implement a cage-free policy, uh, and that was successful. So eventually, Countdown will have phased out all of their caged eggs from all of their supermarkets. That subsequently led to Pack and Save a New World doing the same thing. Uh, so corporate campaigning like this can work. I'm really interested to see the progress that these guys will will have with McDonald's because it could make a difference. Yeah, yeah, me too. So that's something that's obviously been cropping up in the media recently from, from externally. Um, but we've also got some pretty interesting stuff going on internally as well. So for a little bit of background before we get into it, every week... People contact SAFE because they've witnessed animal cruelty or they've seen or they've heard something that's concerned them regarding the treatment of animals, whether it's companion animals, farm animals, animals in rodeo or in racing. I mean, it can be anything. Um, often these people are quite distressed because it can be a really tough thing to see the mistreatment or neglect of an animal. And, and lots of them as well, they tell us that they didn't really know where else to go. There's even been some stories of young farmers who have been bullied or workers in a range of industries that have had to leave their jobs because of the things that they've seen and how it's affected them. Um, these people who call us to blow the whistle, whether they're employees, contractors, visitors, or 
passes by. They've played a massive role in, in exposing animal abuse. And I mean, not only in industrialized animal agriculture, but across the spectrum. I mean, notably in March, we were able to expose three businesses that were delivering live pigs in the Auckland region who had recommended using a hammer to stun the animals before killing them, which is blatantly illegal. We spoke quite recently in a podcast about something that happened last month. We were contacted by local residents near a a paddock in Canterbury who were concerned about a number of dead sheep that were dumped among gorse bushes. And that report actually did. It came from a whistleblower contacting us directly. I know you're often across this side of things in your role, Will. And in response to the increasing number of reports, you've been leading on a pretty interesting initiative that we launched this week. So I think it's only fitting for you to introduce everyone to what that is. Yeah. So this week we launched 0800 Expose. It's a new hotline. Um, We also have a dedicated webpage set up as well. They can either call the hotline or they can make a submission on our webpage when they see animal abuse. Um, or they witness something that is concerning to them in terms of their treatment or mistreatment. As you say, people come to SAFE all the time with uh, with things that they've witnessed or evidence they've seen. It's We're responding to a need in the community, really, because obviously there is people out there all the time who are seeing these things. They either don't know who to go to because our animal welfare regime is made up of a patchwork of different agencies. Or the literally too scared to because they're in a small rural community where everyone knows everyone and they don't want to be targeted by people for blowing the whistle. So a little bit about how the animal welfare sort of enforcement regime works in, in New Zealand. There's the Ministry for Primary Industries. They're responsible for animal welfare on farms and in agriculture. And then there's the SBCA, who is responsible for animal welfare uh, for domestic animals, cats and dogs, but also animals on lifestyle blocks. And then there's the Racing Integrity Board, which is kind of a weird situation. They don't have a warrant under the Animal Welfare Act to investigate animal welfare, but they do have an interest in animal welfare in terms of how it relates to the racing industry's integrity. Um, But when there's clear-cut cases of breaches of the Animal Welfare Act, they can't really do anything with it, so they refer it to MPI. So when someone sees something, whether it's on the side of the road or on their workplace, um, figuring out who to go to can be difficult. Um, So that's one of the things that that we've been helping people with for a long time. When they see something um, that they're concerned about, that they think does need to be reported, we can help them through that process um, and reporting to the right agency and make sure that that there is accountability. You know, MPI, they have about 30 inspectors and we have 160 million farmed animals. And that's, that's not even including the fishers. So there's literally just not enough inspectors to 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 monitor all of that which means issues fall through the cracks so when people come to us they call 0800 expose we're there to help to be the net essentially to catch any of those issues that fall through the gaps to make sure when when animals are being abused neglected that there is accountability and if there isn't accountability then we're there to expose it to the public, um, especially when there are issues that are in the public interest. So, yeah, 
It's been an exciting week to finally launch this program. It's been a long time in the making, um, and we've had a, a great we've had great feedback from the community. People are really pleased that that we've launched this program. Yeah, it's amazing, and it, like you say, it's just really I think reassuring for a lot of people to know that you can go to a place that is going to help you direct in the right direction or be able to publicize something without necessarily you having to be the face of it. And I think that's really valuable. One thing that I think people might be quite interested to know if they were going to call or they were going to submit something through the website, what would happen? Like, who are they going to speak to? What's going to happen with their complaint or when they report What's the process? Yeah. So if someone uses the web form, for example, it comes straight to me um, as investigations manager. So those submissions come directly to me and then I follow up on them for the phone line 0800 expose. It would go to one of a group of people, including myself. So you may actually get me, but you may get um, one of our colleagues who will first take down um, some details of yourself, um, contact details and a description of what it is that you want to report. And then that gets passed on to me to follow up. So then what I always like to do is talk with the person, what it is that they're concerned about, what evidence they have, if any, um, what actions they have taken up until that point. And, um, and I should put a caveat, this is always confidential. Whenever we're um, handling information uh, from whistleblowers or informants or people of the public, we always take great care to ensure that it's um, that people's privacy is respected and that it's handled with care and confidentially. And then we make a recommendation as to as to what we can do next. If animals are at risk at harm, we always strongly recommend that it needs to be reported to the relevant agency, whether that's MPI and SPCA, and we can help them that, through that process. If animals aren't at immediate danger uh, of being harmed but there is an issue that has been raised um, an animal welfare issue or a farming practice that's unusual or might be considered morally abhorrent we might work through a bit bit of an investigation to try and get some more details about what's going on um, and then we'd expose it Uh, a great example would be um, in the past you know the issue of farrowing crates that is really well understood by the public now um, and most people consider them cruel but they're completely legal but we wouldn't know about farrowing crates if it wasn't because of volunteer activists and whistleblowers who were able to get video and photo evidence of farrowing crates so that the public can be shown what it actually is and how and how it works yeah and you're right i hadn't thought about that specifically around farrowing crates but it is true that it's almost like nigh on impossible to kind of know what's actually going on for animals across the country because they're kept behind closed doors. They're kept on secluded land. They're often without a lot of protections at all. So it, it does come down to witnesses a lot of the time to report what they see. And I think the more that that kind of information comes to light, the more of an idea that we have about the state of the nation, really, where laws are failing, where enforcement needs to be ramped up, whatever it is. So I think this program is so important for us to be able to start to effectively map these reports. I'm excited. Yeah, you raise a really good point because 
there are so few inspectors, especially in MPI, and we we, ha- we have to highlight that because we need change in that animal welfare monitoring and enforcement space because right now it's failing and animals are suffering as a result. Uh, ideally, we'd like a, a commissioner for animals put in place and, and complete reform of how we monitor and enforce animal welfare. Until that happens, we're going to be there with our 800 Expos to point out the flaws in this broken system. Hey, another thing that I was thinking that people might not be entirely clear on and I suppose it is a bit ambiguous but in your perspective what what counts as cruelty like there's obviously a legal sense so what is that and then you talk about moral abhorrence What's the difference for you? Yes, yeah, so animal cruelty, it's its not a legal term. It's not embedded in any kind of legislation. It can encompass a range of things, but there are specific activities that are a crime. For example, ill treatment and neglect of animals. That is a crime under the Animal Welfare Act. So that would fall under animal cruelty. But then there's other issues at play here. Practices that are legal under the Animal Welfare Act, but... Some people might consider morally abhorrent. Fowling crates and and Connolly cages are perfect examples for this. Technically, they do actually breach the Act because the Act sets out um, obligations for people in control of animals. So those obligations are that they must meet an animal's physical health and behavioural needs, which includes an opportunity to display normal patterns of behaviour. So fowling crates do technically breach that act, but they're currently allowed to to be used under the Code of Welfare, which is currently being reviewed, and we've talked talked about this this on the show. Um, so these are the kind of practices that I think most people would look at a pig in a crate uh, or, or a chicken in a Connolly cage and be appalled by that. That's what I mean by things that are morally abhorrent, but still legal. And it's those kinds of things that we want to expose as well. The practices that are happening day to day on farms uh, and, and elsewhere in the community that aren't illegal in a technical sense, but perhaps should be because if the public knew, they might be appalled. Yeah, such a good point. Such a good point. And it's it's tough as well because, like you're saying, with the fairing crates, they do directly breach the law but are allowed to continue because of other sort of nuances that surround them. And it's taken years. It's been debated for years. It's it's massive. Yeah, and we've talked about the the issue with farrowing crates and, and how SAFE and, and the New Zealand Animal Law Association were able to successfully challenge the use of farrowing crates. Um, and that has led to the situation now where the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee are looking at phasing them out. But you're right, for so long they were allowed to occur because of the Code of Welfare. And the Codes of Welfare, they really actually let down the Animal Welfare Act. If if the Animal Welfare Act was being used as it's meant to be, how it's laid out and how it's written down on, in the legislation, then things like farrowing crates and colony cages shouldn't exist. But we have these codes of welfare that really undermine the act. That's a whole different discussion. Um, I'd love to get um, Marcelo Rodriguez Ferrer back on the show. We got him on um, a couple of years ago to talk about the the, the last court case in regards to farrowing crates because he's a legal expert in this area. 
Circling back to I-100 Expose, there's all of these things that happen on farms every single day and they do need to be exposed because, and just in the public interest. Now, I have one more thing to say about this and (laughs) I'm going to play devil's advocate because I know that people sometimes do feel like this. There's a bit of a feeling about this at the moment. So some people might say that farmers are working really hard. It's a really tough time for them at the moment. And bearing in mind that we aren't just focused on farms here, as we've said, there's obviously a whole swarm of other sort of areas that we're keen to hear about. But this program could potentially be seen by some as a little bit of a swipe at, at these hardworking farmers, what would you say in response? Yeah, yeah. And I can see how that, that, that concern might be out there. I mean, yeah, we're not out to, to attack farmers. We're not out to bully farmers. But at the end of the day, nobody is above the law. And that includes farmers. What we want is to ensure that when illegal behaviour does occur, it is properly investigated by MPI or whoever else the 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 relevant agency is, whether that be SBCA. And we want to ensure that animal abusers are held to account. MPI, for example, if they fail in their duties to do that, then it's our job to hold them to an account. So, yeah, we're, we're not out to, I guess, yeah attack farmers or bully farmers but we do want to highlight systemic cruelty that is currently legal Um, and much of what happens on farms on slaughterhouses it is out of sight and out of mind at the end of the day the public has a right to know what goes on in their backyard perfect (laughs) agreed (laughs) devil's advocate out so obviously all of the stuff that we've spoken about I mean it's it's an interesting and exciting time for us obviously with launching this but it is a bit of a dire conversation that has to be had and there are some tough things that we're going to be hearing and have heard is there something Will that you can brighten our day with a little bit yeah everything's a bit bleak sometimes but the people of Golden Bay they are on a mission I'll tell you and it's to help save the cats. Abandoned and dumped cats, they become a real problem in Aotearoa. It's it's not good for the cats and it's not good for everyone else. So the Golden Bay Animal Welfare Society, they've recently received a $3,000 grant and they're going to use that to help volunteers trap, desex, tame and rehome stray and feral kittens, which I think is just awesome. We're into spring now. In a few months time, we're going to be right into kitten season. All of the Cat Rescues, SBCA, Cats Protection League and all the other groups all around the country are going to be working overtime to to, to rescue as many of those kittens as possible. Um, so, yeah, it's awesome to see that um, the people of, of Golden Bay and the Golden Bay Animal Welfare Society are doing some mahi and I've and they've got a grant to, to help them with that. Um, one of their people, one of their spokespeople said, it's not fair on the cats as many don't survive. I think referring to how cats get dumped and abandoned. Um, so yeah, they're really grateful that they've got this grant to, to help them try and rehome as many of these, no doubt, awfully cute kittens. <laughs> that is good news. Thank God. Finally, we've got some to share. That's awesome. Yeah. And you're right because it is, it's a thing that happens every year and there's so much comms that goes out about it, about getting your cats and kittens spayed and all of that sort of stuff. But we do still have this problem every year. So it is awesome to hear that that is being prioritized. 
Well, thank you for listening to Animal Matters. As always, this podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, where Aotearoa's leading animal rights organisation. We release new episodes every fortnight, except this one was a week late. So make sure you subscribe, Apple, Spotify, or whatever your favourite podcast platform is. You can also subscribe to our newsletter, safe.org.nz forward slash Animal Matters. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Thank you, Courtney. Have an awesome weekend. Thank you. Same to you. See you next week. <laughs>